The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. We're not allowed to have fun anymore. So lieu of fun, let's at least not be bored. And we're live. It is Thursday, March 17th. It is St. Patrick's Day. It is 6 and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a very odd time for our show. It is a Thursday. It is 6 o'clock. And also we have no guest, but we do have Alain Grossman. Wait, are you, am I bringing him back up then? Oh, uh, well, I guess you should bring him back up since you just mentioned him. It's, it's kind of weird to, so I, I love Len. Hi, Len. Sorry, I'm going to unmute you. Sorry. I'm not also going to unmagic giant screen you. I fat fingered the button. Sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Happy Purim. Happy Purim. It is Purim. Happy Purim. I mean, what a double header when you have Purim. You're supposed to drink so much you don't know your left hand from your right. And then you double with with, um, St. Patrick's Day. Day, And uh, nobody's getting up tomorrow. (laughs) Is Is today Purim? It is. It is for him. Oh, what was all of the people baking all of the hobmintoshin? Like, right, right, right. That was in preparation for. Yes, and I'm not supposed to have carbs anymore. My wife made double doses of my favorite hobmintoshin. I don't know. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Well, I like Moon, the the poppy seed. Um, Does that like? I gotta ask, like, does that have? I don't know because I've never had it. Is there something flavor other than poppy seed that's oh, in yeah, it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, apricot and oh cherry okay, got it. Cherry and raspberry. But, but, but poppy seed is kind of like the ur. Uh, yeah. Don't these kill you, oh, Ben? Oh, well, poppy seeds make me a little uncomfortable. Prune is the other. Uh, oh, uh, is there a prune? Classic, okay. yeah. So look, uh, I have to explain why we have Len up here. It relates to this uh, new dog shirt that I have, uh, which arrived in the mail the other day from uh, one John Bordeaux, who had forwarded it from Len. Uh, John being protective of my uh, personal identifying information. Um, So it came with a perfectly lovely letter uh, from Len, which explained the history of this dog shirt. Um, And rather than read you the letter, I think I'm just going to have Len tell the story of uh, of this uh, fabulous dog shirt and uh, where it comes from. So Len... uh, Welcome to the show, um, and uh, uh, thank you for this uh, lovely the dog shirt and the letter, which was spectacular. Uh, tell the story. So I didn't bring up the letter again to remember what I remember my truth. You know, sometimes things change. Maybe this is a lie. No, my wife and I were lucky enough to spend a week in paradise, which is San Marco de San Marcos de la Loop de San Marcos La Laguna, um, in on Lake. Atitlan in Guatemala last month. And one of the things Guatemala is known for, and particularly the villages around the lake, are wild dogs. They're not feral, but they're not domesticated. They 
they wander everywhere. They are mostly gentle to people. Um, I've never heard of an incident. They're a little bit annoying on the sidewalks because the sidewalks are very narrow and you can't get around them. But they're, they come up to you and they stare at you until you don't give them something and they walk away or you give them something. They're in all the restaurants and they're, they're just all over town. And when I saw all these dogs, I somehow I thought of that. I can't imagine why. And um, the island is gorgeous. I can I don't know if I can screen share from Instagram or not. Um, I, I think okay. uh, you can certainly try. So where is the screen share button? So if you go hover your uh, uh, mouse oh, okay. over the pane, you will see a panel, and the uh, at the top of your screen and the third uh, button, there will be a button that is a screen share. Uh, it'll be immediately to the left of the gear that is the settings. So it says share, right? Yeah, it says share screen. Okay. Share. Well, it says, no, this is not the right share. That's to share to the, I'm sorry, I have options here. Uh, so you want to, no, no, no. You want to hover. It might. Why don't we like maybe sorry I'm like in disembodied voice because I'm eating but like why don't we maybe like put a link into the chat later it might be okay, better let's, let's do that it'll be easier yeah. yeah and I'll just put a link to my Instagram site which has other stuff too but you can see the the various dogs and and pictures of Chala and all kinds of things anyway so uh, we wandered everywhere we went I took pictures of these dogs and there I had a, a, a um, uh, a contact sheet of um, Ben has the grid. It's upside down, Ben. Right. <laughs> so, um, it was really hard to decide which one would make the best shirt. They're so and, cute. Oh and, my uh, God. So many dogs. Holy cow. Well, that's, you know, they were everywhere. And it was hard to, if I were better at Photoshop, I would have loved to take the background out. But it was also hard to get them to pose looking right at you. So this guy nominated himself. <laughs> well, it was a, a huge surprise to get it. Uh, even though John told me something from you was coming, I, I, uh, I did not expect a custom-made dog shirt. Uh, this is the first, by the way, stray dog shirt. Um, right. Uh, yeah. So, um, so thank you for doing it, um, and uh, I am uh, super grateful, and it's a uh, uh, and kind of in love with the dog. Yeah, well, I'm glad I picked this one. I mean, he nominated himself, and I'm really just happy he was able to work it out. Um, and I'll, I have to find a link somewhere to the outfit that made him. They were quite quite helpful. Um, I don't remember. But Super anyway. cool, and you're the best. Okay. This is so it was, sweet. It was uh, lots of fun to work on, and thanks. People were very protective of how to reach you. I almost sent it to Brookings, but I, John suggested I just send it to him. You, you did it exactly right, and I uh, I appreciate uh, the protectiveness. You know, there have been a few security incidents, um, and I'm not looking for more. Um, all of which is a fabulous way of saying that we are not allowed to have fun anymore, though we are allowed to have dog shirts. Uh, and uh, by the way, I had a meeting the other day with a senior government official, and this uh, caused a little bit of a crisis for me because my brand is wearing dog shirts, even in, you know. What did, what did he, she say? What did they say? So I decided I got to go with the dog shirt. 
um, for the senior government official meeting. And the person began the meeting saying, oh my God, I don't know, I can only see the eyes. I don't know what that shirt is, but that's the greatest thing anyone's ever worn to a meeting. And we had a like five minute conversation about I dog really... shirts. Um, and so I'm just telling you, uh, Eve Goumand, I don't know if she's here. She She's convinced that the new business attire is gonna be lion shirt with a blazer. Uh, and I'm totally down with that. I think we're all gonna- um, What if it just becomes a signal of humility, of like, kind of like not taking yourself seriously what and more, being a serious person? What more could we hope for? Yeah, exactly. I think so, that's exactly right. Okay, um, so- All of which brings us to the subject at hand. Uh, no, Colleen Casey, they are not nipply and weird. This, there is no way, look, I'm not going into where my nipples are, there's no way that they're okay. <laughs> yeah. like no. It looks sorry. this. This is in fact this shirt is like really ab absolutely tremendous. I love it very much. I think it's a very sweet gift from Len. Um, I'm, and I think that it's I'm very touched by it, and thank you, Len. So You're physically other, touched by the gift, also. I just want to point out. Um, yeah, it's literally touching me. So wait, <laughs> I want to introduce uh, today's subject. The other day, KK was texting me. Um, and we were talking about some work and she was saying uh, that she wanted to uh, ask me a bunch of questions about sextortion cases um, because of something she was working on. I'm working uh, on a, I'm working, I'll just tell you what I'm working on, which yeah. is that I'm teaching. Um, so one of my mentors slash, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's, I actually say he's a mentor. He's a former teacher of mine, a former professor of mine from Brown. He His class was the graduate level studies class. I think it was called thinking that was in cognitive science and what was then Cogneuro and um, introduced me basically to a number of concepts that just kind of like shook my world and a number of studies that very much shook my world and have stayed with me for for generations, even as those studies and those methodologies become outdated, it like shaped my ability to deal with, dealing with those studies was my entryway into dealing with empirics and all these other things. So now I teach, I'm not teaching formally because I'm definitely not being paid. And this is definitely just on like my own time, which question like Daphne Keller was like, Kate, what are you doing? You do too much. Why would you agree to sign up for a two hour like graduate teacher, two hour graduate study seminar on cognitive neuroscience at Brown for no money or credit? And I was like, well, it's fun. It's really fun. But like I've been doing this and the seminar is with a bunch. It's actually with two really precocious undergrads who are very charming and wonderful. And they prep a bunch of studies and they like tell them to myself and Steve Sloman, who's been on the show and who I reconnected with through the show in part. Um, and the entire conceit is that they've picked out a number of various elements of cognitive science and a number of various strains of cognitive science research that they think relates back to deep fakes and the implications for deep fakes because they're compiling a report for something. I have no idea. My in, my my interest in this is not in the publication credit. It's not in the teaching credits. I just it is like literally me having fun on a Friday afternoon for an hour and a half with like these like these this group. Um but we got like what's happened repeatedly is we go through these very esoteric kind of tangentially like 
related cases. And there is inevitably this question of like, is this about synthetic media? Like, is this about the ability to actually make Vladimir Putin appear like he's saying this thing or to make Emma Watson appear like she's in a pornography, also relevant because Emma Watson went to Brown. So like, meh. but like appear like she's in this pornography movie. What are like the various implications of deep fakes vis-a-vis like how do we separate them out from like an autocratic government having a studio of LA proportion set up in like their homeland and being able to just produce media videos that are not that are real but fake versus the new threat of deep fakes and of course we read Bobby Chesney and Danielle Citron's um like deep fakes piece which is canonical um, although like we're going to revisit it now. But one of the things that came up halfway through the semester was, okay, like we have been really focusing on, I think for various reasons because of Ukraine and Russia and all the things of like, this autocratic kind of like, we've really been kind of over-rotating, I think, in this autocratic way. And on a bunch of the stuff that came up recently, um, and I think it was also matched with me reading on my own about a bunch of sextortion cases. I was just like, this is, this threat is going to be a threat in a way that is much more common and base than we think about it. It's not going to be this precious singularity threat, because if there is some type of singularity threat, it's going to be, a that'll be a threat all of, on its own. The threat is going to be in convincing 14-year-old girls that there is pornography that someone has taken of them in some, or like photos that someone has taken of them that convince them as an entry gateway kind of into like providing other types of photos. Sorry, that's Nina. That providing other types of photos to like, kind of like doing this type of thing. And so, and the, the undergrads were with me. And I would say Steve was like a little reluctant. And I was like, no, I mean, I'm not saying he was totally reluctant. He was just kind of like, I think like a lot of people, he's like, oh, well, what's the threat of sextortion? Like visa or versus the threat of, and of course, like, I kind of think instantly he was like, oh, wow. As like an educator in this modern environment, like I live constantly in fear that I'm going to be accused of something or like there's going to be something leveled at me. What if that was plausible or there was some type of like, like type of thing that like catastrophically, even if it was just an initial matter released, even if it came, I came back from it, would I ever come back from it? And he kind of like boomeranged really fast. And his boomerang was so fast that it all is to say that it made me come back to you to be like, we should revisit this. I haven't had the time and space to be thinking about this in this capacity. Um, but you're like, you're an expert in sextortion and what is also called although a dated one. I mean, what? I've I and I should be I should caveat this that you know the work that I did on sextortion was four or five years ago, and the landscape was change has changed a bit since then. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, you said you wanted to chat about it, and I said, let's yeah, do so it on the show. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to interview you about it, and we thought this would be, and we like initially were like, well, let's get a guest for today because it's a weird day, and like we'll try to put, but then like when the guest fell through, I was like, oh, well, we weren't we already going to talk about this, and so this is perfect. So All the right. first thing is like, can you explain sextortion slash sexploitation and like the procedural elements that go into it from from a from a perspective of like a person who is being who is being extorted and the position of kind of like how I guess I would love it if you could kind of put a valence on it for both sides of like how what the person who is per perpetrating this crime is doing. Yeah. So let's start away from deep fakes because I think people like to start with deep fakes. No, no, and, I 100% think like let's let, like let's, let's start, leave deep fakes out of them. Let's just let's start talk with about just sort of good old fashioned good old fashioned sextortion. So this is as old as you know I don't know people have been having sex and extorting each other over it. Uh famous Alexander Hamilton um, uh, scandal, right, was a sextortion scandal. When we say sextortion today, we do not mean, I think most people do not mean traditional old, good old fashioned sexual extortion. Well, like, we, let's just call it, let's to delineate, let's just call the good old fashioned stuff blackmail. Well, so I, I want okay, to I I like, I, I cut the onion okay. a little bit finer than that. Um, two people have sex and one of them blackmails the other over it. I don't care if it's by email or by, you know, Polaroid photos or whatever. That's as old as the day is long, right? Here is what is new and why people like me got interested in sextortion. Because there is, it is possible to scale sexual extortion online in a way that it was never possible. You always, that sort of sexual extortion, you always had to do in a very bespoke fashion, right? You get somebody to do something that compromises them. You have images of it somehow. You have evidence of it. You blackmail them. The thing that you can do online is uh, essentially compel people to produce pornography in an ongoing way. Um, and I got interested in this because a, I, it's actually a very like weird story how I got interested in this. Um, I was writing a book on the future of violence, which was eventually called The Future of Violence, uh, with my friend Gabby Bloom. And um, we were thinking about miniaturization and drones and remote attack in warfare and the ability to kill somebody from half a world away right and we were thinking okay well that technology is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and it's disseminating really fast um uh and wow how long will it be before i can kill somebody who's halfway around the world right and that was a a relatively common question that people were asking five, seven years ago. Uh, and 
so Gabby and I kind of developed a whole theory of miniaturization and remoteness and violence. And uh, I don't want to go into that theory, but I was- We should do that again. We should like, we should talk about that though. I've never heard of that miniature. I mean, like I'm not familiar with this area, but we should also like, that's like worth talking about, but yes, but go ahead. So like, that's a whole other conversation, but eventually I was sitting at my computer and I was thinking to myself, um, uh, can, if my theory is right, this theory that Gabby and I have developed, uh, other elemental forms of attack, not just killing people, should be possible remotely, like theft. And I thought, well, yeah, that's I get a hundred emails a day from Nigerian princes who want to give me, you know, ten billion dollars in gold, right? So I was like, okay, check the theft, right? We know. And then I said, okay, what's the other really elemental human on human attack? And it's sexual violence. And so I was like, all right, if my theory is right, people should be raping each other remotely. And so I just Googled online rape. And an article came up um, uh, about one of the most terrifying cases I had ever heard of to that day. Um, and it involved a a uh, hacker in California who was sextorting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women and young girls by infecting their computers with malware, turning their webcams against them. You get a single nude photo of one of them changing, and then you use that photo to extort the production of more pornography by her. And the amazing thing about this, other than the incredible brutality of uh, the case, the defendant, by the way, who I believe is now free, I'm not sure, have to check on that, is named Luis Mijangos. Uh, and um, and uh, I learned the word sextortion. Um, and so then I started Googling the word sextortion, and it turns out... Um, by the way, Luis Mejandros um, in 2011 was 32, an illegal alien from Mexico, and he had a six-year prison sentence. Yes. And for... by the way, prosecutors were lucky to get that, probably 250 victims. Yes. There were probably 250 victims whose like lives he like upturned and distorted and construed and completely like made more difficult in a bunch of different ways. Um, and I'm, by the way, I just want to say I'm avoiding the word ruined because I just read in the last day, a really great piece by Maybelle Romero, who herself was a victim of childhood sexual abuse and who watched as a prosecutor later in life, um, judges refer to sexual victims as ruined and broken. And she like hated this very much and felt like it was incredibly disempowering for her. And so I'm like, I actually almost said ruined right now. I was like, oh, you ruined it. And like, now I'm like, I'm not gonna say that anymore. I'm like, impacts, like yeah. impacts are highly, highly variable. Yeah. But when we published our Brookings extortion report, we were contacted by uh, victims in faraway places. I don't want to name countries. I don't want to get close to identifying people who were, you know, terrified of their attackers to these to this day. Mifangos, it turns out, was a chump. Um, 
the highest, the, the ones who do the most in victimization have literally thousands of victims. Um, uh, and um, much of this is directed at uh, uh, um, the, the adult victims, at least on sextortion for porn, uh, are almost exclusively women. There are male victims of sextortion for money. It's quite common, actually. Uh, and that's a bit of a different thing. Um, the, uh, there is a huge problem of sextortion uh, directed at uh, teenage gay kids who may be exploring coming out. Um, and this is a, a real problem. Uh, uh, a lot of suicides result from sextortion. It is, uh, and so we did, I guess, four or five years ago, I can't remember what year it was. We did, I think the first major study of sextortion cases. I found we, it we, like in like prepping for today, but yeah. I'll we identified 80, 80 cases of it around the country, most of them federal. The victims we were able to positively identify, um, and we didn't name anybody, but we were able to identify 1,300 victims in 80 cases. So, that, you know, you know, just as Uber scales taxi taxi driving, um, the sextortionists, the online sextortionists, have scaled sexual violence in a way that we've never seen before outside of wartime rape. Um, and so I think it's a very significant, under-discussed, uh, it tends to get lost under the rubric of revenge porn. Um, I think it's a more serious problem than revenge porn. Uh, it's a more widespread problem. Um, it drips and, over into other areas like national yes. security or intelligence or other types of things but hold on one second i'm gonna i'm gonna explain one thing ben which is that like i think that some people are not quite fully understanding how something like sextortion works and i want to just unfortunately spell it out so and this is kind of like really how it was made real for me was like when i was researching deep fakes in the last couple of weeks i came across this one and i just dropped it into the chat this daily mail story about a Cambridge graduate who is one of Britain's worst pedophiles. And he did something called Hurtcore, which is essentially like the, like it is like, like pornography, but extreme degradation. And it's often self uh, like inflicted or like, I mean, it's like actually like people who are <laughs> true pedophiles. This is like one of the more bizarre things that I've read who believe that they are love who have justified in their mind the abuse of children because they love children so much that they are like raping them because they love them think that hurt core is actually like like a terrible abomination on society so like literally if you think of like pedophiles like in like nambla like like that type of thing like then like the north american boy love association and then you think of like below that these this is these people like this is like the hurt core people and of these so basically what it basically said was that there's this guy from cambridge like this dorky paleontology guy 
who for years had used Tor and a number of other like kind of sites to basically disguise his identity to go on to the version of Craigslist in the UK to to find people advertising teenage girls advertising for babysitting say that he was a middle-aged or elderly woman that did some type of figure drawing get a the individual to take like offer some obscene amount of money five hundred dollars eight hundred dollars there was some like there's really some problem with the payment coming through or something but just send me just send me the pictures of your naked back or like you're a tasteful photo of you in black and white topless or something like that and they're like how bad could this be this is gonna be 800 pounds or 800 dollars, and this right. is so great and this 14 year old girl does this and here's what happens they do this and the person instantly changes it's like jekyll and hyde and the person is of course not an elderly woman but like in this case this like phd graduate from cambridge that is seeking to kind of extort people and is doing this in this way that like basically like comes at them and at this point they have the real name of the individual that they are victimizing and they are going to basically like they have already at this point sussed out all of their friends so what they do is they then come back at the person the second after they sent this vulnerable picture and they say I know every single person that you're friends with. Here are their names. Here's who you're good friends with based on all of your social media. I've like figured it out. And here's all the ways that they follow me. Here's some screenshots. They follow me. They followed me back. Like I have relationships with them. They are going like, here's your mom. Here's your dad. Here's your aunt and uncle. Here's your priest. And they're all going to get this photo. If you don't take a photo of yourself, licking a toilet seat oh doing, i mean a lot like, of it x is number of is, like doing x real, number of basic, basic you know yeah it like starts off as masturbation it's, like, it's actually like becomes, probably the you know, more worst. degrading over time yeah it's well, absolutely but but like but sorry i'm like only spelling this out because people were like i don't understand what sex yeah, but there, is in the but chat actually, i'm like I, okay this there's is actually what we're i think about. four distinct modalities of sextortion so Kate just described one, which is by far the most common. This is, it's catfishing, right? It's, you know, you, you con somebody over time, you, you develop a relationship with them, you con them over time into sending you a nude or a uh, some kind of, by the way, in a lot of the Muslim world, uh, the initial photo doesn't isn't even a nude it's just you know the hijab a little bit back in a revealing way and that can get somebody killed in an honor killing and uh there were some there was a very good bbc uh um uh uh, uh account of of the way sextortion works it's mostly for money actually in 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 the uk um in muslim communities um, and so, you know, we think of it as like people sexting each other. It's not even necessarily sexting, although it often is. Um, uh, and then you leverage that for increasingly degrading. Uh, it's really the best way to think about but it. But then is this other person often flips around into the weird, um, completely protected through encryption types of community they're in. Like sometimes, sometimes their motivation is, 
currency in their communities of pedophiles and hurt poor people. And sometimes it's money. Sometimes yeah, they're selling the actual content for like tens of thousands of so dollars. So there's definitely an overlap with the child porn community, but this is also, uh, uh, there's also just highly individualized collectors who are basically, you know, enjoying having people, sometimes adults, sometimes children in kind of uh, protracted periods of sexual slavery. So that's one modality. Second modality, which people don't talk about a lot, but which uh, 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 actually accounts for a fair number of the cases is just individual abuse, like intimate abuse. Um, you know, it becomes a part of a stalking uh, of one individual by another and the person pretends to be somebody else and ends up in a sextortion. There was a horrible uh, father-daughter case of this in New York. Um, uh, there have been a number of these cases. Some of them involve hands-on abuse as well. Some of them don't. Uh, these cases are uh, particularly vile. Um, the third, um, which is also common, is so one way to get uh, somebody to send you a nude is by conning them into doing it a la catfishing. Another way is to steal their passwords. And uh, a lot of people make uh, uh, take sexy pictures of themselves. Um, and if you can guess their passwords, and most people, you know, don't do the two-step authentication thing, don't do, uh, don't have strong passwords. Uh, uh, there was a horrible case out of California that basically one guy uh, guessed the passwords of basically a whole community of girls he had gone to high school with. This was when they were all in college. Um, and, uh, you know, a remarkable number of them had uh, uh, to one degree or another revealing pictures, which he then used to extort them. Uh, there are a lot of those cases. And then the final most uh, most common, uh, so least common, but most sort of emblematic of the cases involves actual hacking. That right, you you've uh, most of the sextortionists are not master hackers of the Luis Mejangos variety. They're not writing malware. It's easier actually to get people by conning them and catfishing than it is to. Uh, but it's uh, but there are a few who've done a lot, um, and uh, they've gotten a fair bit of attention. And you know, if you can, uh, uh, there's a whole culture on YouTube which I tried to get YouTube to crack down on, and of like uh, webcam turning videos. A lot of it is directed at young kids masturbating, um, and you you know you get a, a video from somebody's webcam while they're interacting with porn, you know, a 13 year old or something. And then you break in on the screen and say, ha, I've got you now, you know, and for people think this is wildly funny and there's a whole category of, I mean, it even has a name, I forget what it is. Um, uh, um, and so um, these are, um, uh, these are the main modalities. The number of victims is immense. Uh, and that's the 
the critical point um, uh, uh, that I think people don't understand. This is, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have been victimized this way um, without like, and, and nobody, nobody counts it in the crime victimization statistics for a lot of reasons we can go into if you want. Yeah, so I would, I do want, but I also kind of want to tie it quickly back to deep fakes before we kind of go into like why people do or do not engage with this. Because I think that like, the, like it's not immediately clear to people why deep fakes would present a problem um, in this scenario. But now that we've kind of gone over the rudimentary procedure of a, of a perpetrator um, trying to extort these types of things for money, for clout, for personal gain, for sick destruction, whatever it is. Um, what is like, what is the, why do deep fakes present a problem here when it seems like there has been something like this, as you said, that has gone on forever and that the internet has already added its own kind of version of this just with traditional cameras and real media that is like extorted out of people in a terrible way. Yeah, so I mean, people's concerns about deep fakes tend to be expressed as like Vladimir Putin make you know creates a deep fake of Volodymyr Zelensky. Um, uh, there's a what some people have called a deep fake, a famous one. It's actually a very shallow fake of Nancy Pelosi. The slurred um, speech one, the, the one where it seemed like one. she was drunk. Yeah, right, and. Um, I accept that those are a real problem. And as the technology gets better, um, those will become an increasingly big problem. But I'm much more concerned about an intermediate problem, which is, so if, if you took the slurred speech video and uh, you did that to a 14-year-old girl and superimposed, you know, and created a video of her having sex in a porn video. Well, what if uh, you even like, but like that she would be able to maybe like, but like, what if it was something more mundane and like, like, what if it was her being drunk? Right. And so, she's super conservative. So I'm, I'm like, let's just, you know, let's just take very basic sure. interactions. Uh, and let's talk about the difference between the 14-year-old girl and Volodymyr Zelensky. The 14, or the, and it's also the 14-year-old boy, right? So teenagers have a particularly refined sense of shame. Um, and um, they are, you know, it's a, it's a very, very shame-based age. Secondly, like they don't have, they are generally not, and I don't say this with any criticism of Volodymyr Zelensky, they're generally not egomaniacs, whereas politicians generally are, right? And you, you have a certain amount of uh, tolerance for, you know, uh, your face wobbling the way it's not supposed to when you're Volodymyr Zelensky that you may not if you're your average, uh, you know, teenage girl um, or teenage boy. Um, the third thing is you have professional teams that are, uh, supposed to help you with that and do and, you know, and news media that care and that go out and say, hey, this is obviously fake. 
and if you're Nancy Pelosi, uh, you can ride that through. Now, is that going to last as the technology develops? Maybe, maybe not. But these people are dramatically better positioned to deal with this problem than the average teenager is. And the average teenager is uh, really in a, uh, in a tough situation. Video is very powerful. Um, and by the way... And also if they're advertising in some way and they're found through some type of way that already signals that they're looking for work or looking for jobs as a teenager, it kind of signals a financial vulnerability. They're vulnerable in all kinds of ways. And by the way, one of them is that they don't have fully developed uh, uh, prefrontal cortexes and they... they That help with risk assessment. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't assess risk reasonably. And so there's a it's a particularly vulnerable age group. It's a particularly shame-oriented uh, age. And by the way, it's also one where uh, that we know is targeted with, with, with uh, uh, sex extortions, other forms of sexual exploitation online. Finally, and this is the other thing, which is just a truism about technology and the internet, um, everything you worry is going to happen to heads of state is already happening to teenage girls. That's just an iron law of the internet. Technology always, you know, really, really develops the ability to do all kinds of things in video, develops in the porn industry by way of exploiting people. And there's just no reason to think that this won't be like that. Um, uh, you know, yes, there are, uh, you know, for every infosec person who's working to protect these people, there is a phalanx of people looking to exploit them. And some of them are totally legitimate businessmen. Um, and so, you know, and business women. I mean, it's it's a uh it's the cosmetics industry, it's the, you know, there's huge, huge money behind the idea of um, manipulating video to exploit teenagers, particularly teenage girls, but not exclusively. And so I think when you, when you think about a technology like deepfakes, we have this real instinct to think about it in terms of the implications for geopolitics. I'm immediately concerned about the implications for high school. Yeah, we were talking about this, I think, I can't I can't remember if it was in the green room or now, but like we were basically I was well no, it was but it was now. Um sorry, I've been like having this conversation a few times today. Um like but I was just kind of like I've said recently, like, you know, there's like the wag the dog. There is like, you know, I, what is wag the dog was the one, right? Where they create a whole studio in a war right around like this idea. Like, yeah, you could always have done that. That's not deep fakes. That's actually just theater in like and there's not at the end of the day, the outcome is not hugely different. Um, what you can't do is like get someone who looks and talks exactly like Nancy Pelosi or exactly like Barack Obama. And like that is the difference, like or like Zelensky or whoever it's going to be. And so I just really think that this is like the key thing. And like that type of intervention is 
in geopolitics is yeah, it's not to be like fucked with. It's definitely really bad, especially around elections and things like that, especially around like the time frame in which people are voting. But I will say that like, I, I agree with you. It's kind of like a shit rolls downhill phenomenon, which is like, you're just going to have it piled up for young girls and really vulnerable like kids coming out or trans people or people of color and this is just like this is the story of the internet in a lot of ways and yeah and and don't don't ignore you know teenage boys in this who are you know uh uh th there is nothing goofier than a 14 year old boy and you know they're they're vulnerable creatures too actually there's another really important reason to focus on the local effects of deepfakes rather than the global effects, which is that the quality of them doesn't need to be, they don't need to be nearly as deep to be effective. So ask yourself this, if I, and I'm making this personal on purpose, if I make a video, a deepfake video of you that's pretty bad, Mm -hmm. giving a speech that you never gave and saying i'm pro-russia and they invaded you it was righteous for them to denazify ukraine you'd be like you're an asshole that's i never said anything like that um you wouldn't feel a lot of shame about that but if i made a video of you um uh, looking like I was using doing something untoward in a public bathroom that is familiar to me in some way or that I use all the time. That's it, that video would not have to be very good. Yeah. And you might react the same way, just saying, you're an asshole. I would never do that. Um, I that's not real, but you would feel differently about it because it involves intimacy in a way that yeah. um and one of the lessons of the sextortion cases to me is that people and this is not it's extreme in the case of of children but it's true of adults too people will do unbelievably awful things in order to prevent one picture of them with uh you know a frontal nudity picture from getting out um you know and you say, well, you're you're producing material that's so much worse than the material you're afraid. But the fear of exposure is an incredibly powerful driver. And I don't think that's true in the like the video doesn't even have to be very good to trigger that. Whereas to create an international incident with a fake video, you actually have to do it pretty well. This was like basically what I was saying. Like, yeah, I think that that's right. I think that that's very, very, very right. And I think that like the other thing that we're, we're kind of discounting is like the amount in which any of us have ever like said something we shouldn't have said drunk and woken up the next day thinking that everyone else is waking up thinking about what we said like drunk or like, you know, the, the stupid thing that we did instead of thinking about the stupid things that they did. Like no one is ever thinking about you as much as you are. And so this is something that this in particular for like the kind of the completely self-oriented egomaniacal, like ego kind of like egocentric world of a teenager, like totally manipulates, which is like, they know all the intentionality that went into that photo. 
all of the things that made them do it and all of the things that they were feeling as a budding person and a sexual person and like everything and all the trust and intimacy that went into it. And none of that is coming out. And, and all of that is being projected by them into this thing. And they're, and the, and the perpetrators counting on it. They're counting on them doing that. Like kind of, kind of, yeah. And, and look, the perpetrators don't get caught quickly. Um, this is, you know, one of the things, al almost all sexual violence is recidivist. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and so the question when you're dealing with people who are engaged in sexual violence is how quickly do you catch them, right? And one of the things that's striking to me about the sextortionists is how many victims they rack up before you cap before we tend to catch them and that has everything to do with the shame of the victims completely mateo oh. hi sorry welcome to the very yeah, heavy conversation i do think yeah a, i do think Cheerful it's a super important mm. conversation i hope that like people mm. it's educational and like i think this is a constructive way to deal with a really complex and terrible topic but go ahead mateo mm. you had a great question Oh, yeah. Um, my question was, um, yeah, what's the maximal remedy for this? And by that, I mean, what's the policy option that has the biggest effect on this problem, but, you know, is the equivalent of saying ban all guns, uh, something that just won't happen. Uh, I'm having trouble imagining something like this uh, for this problem, because, you, you know, you can't really unring the technology bell for people. Yeah, so there is no simple solution to this problem. Um, this problem is inherent in the ability of people to direct message each other by a hundred different means and send each other pictures by those means and videos by those means. If you can do that, you're going to have this problem. Uh, a lot of people in the Justice Department uh, blame encryption. Um, uh, there is an element of truth to that, which is that it's uh, encryption actually makes the investigation of a lot of these cases more difficult. It is not. It is not true that you know the, the, these cases happen on encrypted platforms. They happen on unencrypted platforms. If you put a porn studio in the hands of every person, man, woman, and child in the United States, and you give them the ability to communicate directly with one blah, another, blah, blah. Uh, mm, bad things are going to happen. And there are a lot of great things are going to happen too. Uh, and I'm not against that, but like, so I don't think there is a magic bullet solution to this. And um, I do think the most important thing you can do is to train children that uh, they that that they need to stop throwing bad money after good money after bad in these situations. People dig themselves into holes. People make mistakes. People send a first bad picture. There, we need to train kids in a kind of no questions asked. We will never shame you for whatever picture you might have took to yourself took of yourself and sent to somebody we just want to help and make it stop and if you can if you can train the victim population to that 
And look, that's been really hard to do in the physical sexual violence world because a lot of people don't actually mean it. Um, like, it's it's the only thing. The only thing that works is when the victim, when some victim finds a Carrie Goldberg, Kate's friend, uh, who uh, and my friend, who you know represents people in these cases and has a kind of uh, and advocate. normalizes and tells them there's other people like them and this right. is like something they deal with and stop being ashamed and like that's all important. And it's got to be like schools have to be trained about this, police departments. The entity that's really good, by the way, is the federal government. Uh, the, 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 the FBI is, has and Homeland Security investigations have done really, really great investigative work. A lot of state law enforcement is a disaster on this. Um, a lot of local police departments, it's really, really bad. And some of them don't have the local tools. There was a case that I wrote about in Rhode Island of somebody who had, he was a wrestling coach and he had um, uh, used the network of wrestling teams he basically preyed upon dozens of 13 year old 14 year old boys um all over the state of rhode island and he got less than a year in prison under rhode island state law he would have been he would have gotten 30 40 years in federal prison so it's a like there's a real patchwork of law and um and it's a uh and there's a lot of people who need a lot of education about how to how to handle it and how not to dismiss cases where kids are under stress and adults, particularly adults above sort of the age of 35, have an instinct to respond to them. Well, why do you send that guy a fucking picture of your breasts, right? And like there's a there's a, a real learning process that people yeah, need it's to a, go it's a to about go through about how to and how not to respond to these cases when they materialize. So I just want to, so we have to go to Richard's question. Richard, you're unmuted, so um, feel free to pitch in as soon as I finish. But I was just going to say that this is a great point, and Deirdre brought it up in the chat. Like, the other thing that I was reading about was, like, that they specifically, like, I think that a lot of these perpetrators specifically target kids that they know have really terrible relationships at home or in their with their parents like that they know there's not going to be an open outlet where they can like say something like this that they are going to get yelled at and like i just really feel like people like people are bad at empathizing back to the them that was 13 years old empathizing i say empathizing by being like understanding who they were at 13 and realizing that they were like still a good person at 13 but did crazy things at 13 and, and, and realizing like understanding that, that the crazy things that they did when they were 13 would have been a shitload crazier if they'd had a smartphone yeah i mean right? like yeah i think that's exactly right so yeah richard um ben you've answered some of my questions already but um i i know we've talked in on the show some about um the mental health issues, serious mental health issues that people uh, who are, for example, involved with content moderation um, or um, or even enforcement, uh, what the, what they face, and I'm just wondering if uh, you know, are these the, these the sorts of mental health concerns for people who are enforcing? Is this is this a huge obstacle? Is this a problem? Is it 
uh, is it discouraging people from doing this kind of work and driving the people who are out of it? Or, um, I mean, yeah, it's a really, it's we a have really, an impossible situation. It's a really important question. And I, I want to say that, look, the cases that I've studied, um, I cannot sit here and express to you how appalling they are. Um, and here's the thing. These are after they're scrubbed, right? So this is the FBI identifying only the material that the court needs really needs to see, the prosecutors trying to write up an account of it in very clinical terms. You're only seeing a very small amount of the material. Um, the process, so the, the prosecutors have it rough on this. The ones who really have it rough is the investigators. Um, and, um, you know, um, look, I know people who've worked some of these cases who it just crushed them. Um, and like, you know, really had took an immense emotional toll on them. Um, I also know people, and this is a kind of interesting effect um, of, you know, these grizzled investigators who you, you know, look like central casting FBI people who sound like, you know, feminists. Um, and they like, like, it's really like opened people's eyes to, uh, and they become kind of missionary about um, some of Well, it's hard to be like, you wore, you wore a short skirt and like, you know, like it's just it's like so clear how 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 like the line between like how this line gets blurred and like what a stupid and fucked up line it was to begin with yeah there's i mean there's a group of them who and it's a weird the people who care about this it's like a weird community of like uh csips prosecutors computer crimes prosecutors uh uh child sexual exploitation investigators, feminists, and some Christian conservatives. Those are the groups that are like crusading about this stuff. And they're in this weird uh, coalition. It's kind of like they don't have a lot in common. Um, but I do think there's a, uh, you know, there's a kind of missionary driven quality to some of the people who've worked this stuff because the cases are just so horrible that you, you, you know, and I like even just like, I don't want to give you the headline, even the headlines are just like nauseating. Um, and I think once you've worked a few of these cases, there's some group who's like, I can never do that again. I don't I just get put me on, you know, bank fraud, put me on, but there's also groups who were like, don't ever want to work on anything else because there are these kids that are and adults that are being uh, being really fucked up. You're muted. We have to wrap, but um, Ev can't come on screen. Dr. Doom had a very similar question that was I was going to have him on and there was no disrespect to him, but I actually think this is like I liked Ev's formulation of it. And I think it's important to have, like, as we talk about this, we've like heard from a bunch of men and there, there's no, like, I don't really actually think that this is dispositive, but I just think it's useful to have another person's voice 
Um, and Ev asks, as deep fakes become more prevalent, could teenagers' nudes become less shameful? Because there's always the possibility it's not real. And I think that this is like a very, well, I'm just, go I'm going to like let you answer, but I'm just going to say like right off the bat really quickly that I think that this is like a fault, like probably not. Like, yes. I think the shame teenagers feel about nudity and um, is probably not easily overcomable. I would love to be wrong about that. And, you know, I, I do, I do think like, um, there's a, like, there's always education and sophistication that come with new technologies. There's always a gap and it does like catch up, but I do think that there's like, probably, I agree I, with you. I think it's, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm doubtful. Um, I think the, the thing that we need to teach the 14 year old is or the 17 year old or the 24 year old you know um is the moment you realize this is happening tell somebody yeah. um there yeah. are support networks for it there are there is law enforcement that cares uh though sometimes you have to push them there are uh people who will help you. Um, I, I think there's just no substitute for a, and by the way, the perpetrators have to believe, right now they believe that like one in a thousand people is gonna say something. Yes. They need to believe that one in three people are gonna say something. Oh yeah. Like it needs to be like, they need to believe the ratio is at a level that they are at risk. I think that that's exactly right. And I think that Carrie Goldberg would say the same thing, which is just kind of like, and I also think that this is something that slowly, and I hate to say this because I don't actually think this is an answer to the question, but I do think it cleans up so much of the mess in the majority and then still leaves a lot of unanswered solutions in the margins, which is just kind of the idea that there are, um, that there are still going to be be solution solutions to these problems that are solved by like state state police local police finally start to take online stalking sextortion like intimate partner violence like all of these things seriously but like i don't know we also know that like they didn't take those things seriously when they were just in meat space and had nothing to do with cyberspace so like there's also kind of something to be said for that and so like Maybe the greater effect will be that like once these things become both like kind of in the federal scale and like kind of get the visibility that the internet provides through this type of stuff, like to some of this that that will cause people to take a lot of these kind of domestic violence or like sextortion cases more seriously. Um, I certainly hope so, but I'm not holding my breath. And I think in the meantime, there has to be a lot of activism and awareness around these issues. So. I think that's right. And, um, you know, and just, I think every time, I think the, the big answer to Kate's question that prompted this conversation is every time you see a deep fake discussion about the potential for- Every time you see a new technology, a profound new technology, ask right, but, how but, it's going to impact women. Like what what this is women. gonna do in high school. 
Yep. Just like it's not just women. It's it's you know it's but it's like what you think is going to happen between Ukraine and Russia, not bomb wise, but geopolitics is already happening in your high school down the street. Great. We're going to leave it there. Um, we'll be back on March 21st. Um, and I do not think that Scott and I have a guest yet, but we'll work on it. And um, until then, Ben. We don't have fun anymore. We do have a uh, the first stray dog shirt. And uh, we should all, you know, tell the young people in our lives to uh, have better passwords. And be careful out there and to not be ashamed if yep. they aren't careful out there and they make bad choices in the, in the, in like in the short term, that they don't have to be sucked into the long term. Bye yes. guys. Yeah.